Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. As always, we appreciate it. Hope you are well as we wrap up another week. Lots to talk about today. You know, even as we struggle in some places to get meat to grocery stores here in the U.S., our meat exports are doing pretty well. And we're going to talk about uh, those strong export numbers with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, and what he sees moving forward this year with meat exports. Lots going on with the meatpacking industry, of course, and investigations and getting those plants back up and going. We're going to talk with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, on today's program. And with so many events being canceled, one that's still on for this year, later, coming up in September, it's still on the Farm Progress Show for Boone, Iowa. We'll talk with Matt Youngman, National Show's Director for Farm Progress, and see the challenges of planning a big event like that with what's going on with COVID-19. And we'll get a planning update for that Boone, Iowa area as well. So that's coming up on today's program. But we started off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. How are you? Well, I'm fine, although we're expecting the polar vortex in Washington. Mm. So tomorrow it's going to be 50 degrees here. Uh, I hope after that we have real spring because we've had a lot of rain and we could use some sun. Yeah, I think several areas feeling that way as we kind of brace a lot of parts of the Midwest for some cold weather tonight. Uh, let's talk about this uh, investigation into meat packers. Um, there's a lot of attention on this. And sometimes these investigations take so long, by the time we get, a, get the results from them, you almost forgot what, the, what was <laughs> the reason behind them starting. But I, I know a lot of people are going to be watching this pretty closely. Uh, yes, and, and rarely, if ever, have they ended up with a conclusion that, that uh, pleases the cattle ranchers. Uh, you know, I've been covering these things for 20, 30 years, and the, and the cattle ranchers are never, uh, never satisfied with them. Uh, now the, you know, the economists uh, have explanations for for all of this. Uh, that uh, there's a, you know, there's a shortage of meat on the retail level, so that's why those prices are high. There's more cattle and uh pigs and on the uh, uh, of the among, you know among the producers and so that's why the prices are low so uh i'm not sure where this is going to go i wouldn't count on it too much because it hasn't resulted in much in the past We'll talk about it more later with Colin Woodall with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Meanwhile, we're starting to get more details on some USDA programs, such as commodity purchases and things like that. Yes. Uh, in fact, we're expecting that today uh, USDA um, should release the, uh, the contracts uh, with the uh, uh, with these uh, purchases for these food boxes. Uh, that's pre-cooked uh, uh, pork and chicken, uh, and also fruits and uh, fruits and vegetables and dairy products. So at least by Monday, we should be able to see what they're actually uh, what they're actually going to do. Who gets the contracts and 
and where the purchases are likely to be made and where they're uh, where the these foods will end up and still waiting for more word on on direct payments uh, to agriculture what are you hearing there well, as far as I know, that the proposal is, is still at the Office of Management and Budget and hasn't been released. Now, USDA says that they're hoping that the uh, uh, system for applying for this aid uh, will be in place by the end of May. Uh, I, of course, wonder how that's going to go because people are going to have to go to their Foreign Service Agency county offices, I assume, and those offices are on, only open on a limited basis at the present time. You have to make an appointment to go there. Uh, you know, it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be pretty difficult to to uh, handle all of this. I haven't seen any system announced to handle everything online. And of course, there still are a lot of farmers who aren't online or aren't comfortable with with doing that. I just spoke to a farmer yesterday. And when I asked him about the Internet, he said, oh, you better talk to my wife about that. She knows that. I don't know that. Hmm. Uh, you know, we're waiting for so we'll the have, House. We'll just have to see how it is. Yeah. Waiting for the House to come back in session next week. Uh, uh, they're going to be talking a lot about aid package, of course, and debating on that. What about infrastructure? Do you think anything is going to actually get done on an infrastructure package? Well, there might be. The problem is that the Republicans are are, are uh, uh, resistant to it. Uh, and I would say at this point, if farmers want more aid, if they want inf- an infrastructure package, I think they're going to have to, rep- to put some pressure on all those Republican senators and those Republican House members that represent rural America. Uh, at the present time, the Republicans are saying, well, we've done enough now. Let's see how all this works. Well, uh, it's true. We do need to see how, how everything works. But, for example, the, the, uh, um, the Agriculture Department uh, can't really uh, uh, stop the, the payment limits uh, under the current program because they just wouldn't have enough money to spend. So you really do need another package uh, and probably an increase in the, in the Commodity Credit Corporation uh, ability to borrow from the Treasury in order for, that to, in order for that to happen. And the Republicans are being resistant, but most of the members of Congress from rural America are Republican, and so that's where the pressure needs to be placed. Yeah, but there's also the side of it, we haven't got all this money out yet. <laughs> I mean, before we rush in more, don't we need to see the impact of what we've already uh, appropriated? Well, I agree. No, I agree with that. Uh, but at the same time, you have all these meat producers saying, if they just give us the amount of money that, that they've got in this program, uh, we're going to be devastated. So I think that the that agriculture is going to have to figure this out. Do they want to wait, or do they want Congress to to provide something more at this time? Uh, uh, I think that the, the rules for the for the current program are pretty much put in uh, put in place, and I don't see them uh, really, uh, removing those payment limits on uh, on the on the program that'll be, that for which people will qualify at the end of May. Uh, yeah. Not under the not under the current amount of money that they've got to spend. That's a big sticking point, and uh, expect some uh, heated debate when uh, the full Congress gets back uh, in session next next week. All right, Jerry, thanks a lot. Stay well, and we'll talk again soon.
Yes, uh, hopefully next week I'll have uh, I'll have more news. There hasn't really been much happening this week, but the House is likely to come back next week, and then I think there'll be more happening. Very good. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Appreciate it. Take care. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Well, there is a lot going on as far as our meat exports are concerned. Even though we're still struggling to get meat to parts of the U.S., we're getting meat to parts of the world that are winning it. And we'll find out about that from Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. That's coming up next on AOA. This is a call for all farmers to come to the aid of their beans. Liberty Herbicide can now be applied on your Enlist E3 soybeans. Superior weed control, greater application flexibility, no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Liberty Herbicide battles tough weeds so your beans can live free and grow healthy. Talk to your BASF rep to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Liberty's a registered trademark of BASF. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we exported record amounts of pork and had some very strong beef export numbers in the month of March. And to talk about those numbers and look ahead for us is Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. Yes, thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Again, these were numbers from March, but they were very good export numbers. Yes, uh, yeah, very strong. Uh, On the pork side, uh, we saw 38% growth in March, and our brings our first quarter numbers up 40% for the first quarter, uh, led by China, Mexico, and Japan specifically. Uh, and on the beef side, uh, we saw pretty strong results as well there. Uh, we're up 9% for the first quarter, led by Japan, Korea, Taiwan, and Mexico. So it's broad-based growth, which is really, really encouraging. Um, the other thing that should be noted is uh, the variety meats complex on both beef and pork continue to be very strong. Uh, good demand uh, globally for variety meats uh, led by China, Mexico, and South America. So, yeah, we're uh, we're quite happy with it, um, especially considering that this first quarter was right smack dab in the middle of the COVID impact for most of Asia. And uh, uh, despite that, we still saw some uh, pretty darn good uh, numbers. Do you think those numbers will be able to hold that strong in April? No, I think um, I think the demand is still good. Um, you know, if you look at uh, what's going on, most of Asia, not all of it, but a lot of it is coming out of the COVID restrictions, the COVID-19 restrictions. Korea, Vietnam, Hong Kong, Taiwan, China, they're all on the other side of this cloud that I like to use as an analogy. Um, restaurants are reopening. Um, in fact, in Korea, restaurants in certain sectors of the economy are full. Um, and that's they've only been open for a few weeks. So uh, things are on the rebound in a lot, uh, a lot of the parts of Asia. To your question about April, 
uh, we're, we're putting a caution sign out. I think demand will still be good in Asia. However, I think uh, if you look at Mexico and Latin America, Central South America, they're a few weeks behind the U.S. right now on the COVID impact and the lockdowns. So I think we're going to see the demand slow down, uh, specifically in, in Mexico and Latin America. Uh, the other thing to, to keep in mind is that the first quarter really did not see a, any significant impact from the supply chain disruptions with some of the plants being down. Um, we're going to see more of an impact uh, in some of the uh, frozen product uh, in April uh, to some of the key markets. But, but overall, we're optimistic going forward. Okay, that kind of leads me to my, my next question, because I'm sure some people, if you've gone to a grocery store and had trouble finding meat or been limited on meat selection or availability, you're probably saying, and hearing this, you're probably saying, no, wait a minute, we can get meat to China or Japan, but we have trouble getting it to our grocery stores here in the U.S. Uh, what would your answer be, your response be to someone asking that question? Well, I, I, yeah, it's a good question. And uh, the, 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 the simple answer is that the first quarter, a lot of this product is frozen. It was already in the pipeline before we saw the supply chain disruption. So uh, that's why these numbers look good. And that's why I say, you know, some of the like, like frozen short plates and frozen variety meats and, and, and things like this that were in the freezer, they were already sold and they were already shipping when, when the supply chain disruption started to happen. So uh, that's part of the reason it looks good in March, but it's also part of the reason that April and May may not, may not look as good because uh, no doubt, uh, you know, to the extent that there's an impact, it's going to impact both domestic and and uh, the international markets. And we'll start to see that, I think, more in April and May. But that being said, um, it, it does appear that uh, progress is being made at the plant level. Uh, more, We're hearing reports of more plants reopening or increasing their, uh, their throughput. So uh, we're, we're optimistic that... Uh, uh, we're going to see better things going forward in terms of the uh, slaughter uh, capacity utilization. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Along those lines, Dan, have you heard from any of our customers around the world that are seeing the news about uh, uh, you know these concerns with the the supply chain, the the packing plants, and and some of them closing down or cutting back, having to slow down production. Are, are you hearing from any of our customers about concerns they have about us being able to supply the meat that they're wanting to buy? Oh, most definitely. Uh, the, the customer base globally, as it is here in the U.S., is very well informed, and they, they track it very closely. And, it, and it's probably a little more heightened in Asia for the reasons I mentioned before. Uh, the Asian side of things, they went through this. They, they were dealing with the COVID lockdown and production challenges with their own domestic production in Asia back in January, February. And, uh, and now they're coming out of it, and things are starting to slowly get back to normal. So they're seeing upticks in demand. They're seeing things get better, and they know what they went through. They know we're going through that now. So there's a certain level of uh, concern, yes, but more appreciation for what we're going through. And, And keep in mind, they also know that we have one of the best production, agriculture production systems in the world. And uh, I think they, uh, uh, one good example would be last week with the, with the president and the administration uh, enforcing the Defense Production Act. Uh, I think there was a lot of uh, uh, confidence sort of restored uh, by our international customers when they saw that move. 
and and you know then they're working individually with the packers that are and the exporters that are supplying them but but i think there's a lot of confidence in the u.s production supply chain and while there is concern i think there's also confidence also probably concern uh because of the dialogue right now between the u.s and china and the president's comments about china uh, because of uh, COVID-19 and people wondering about how that's going to impact the trade deal. You've noted that uh, we've seen some strong beef sales in China. Uh, are you concerned about the political aspects of this uh, impacting for, uh, those sales moving forward? Yeah, there's always a concern, not only on beef and pork, which both both have seen dramatic increases, but I'm sure in the feed grain sector, corn and soybeans as well. So, yeah, there's a concern, but... But I think in the end, uh, this phase one China deal is a very positive deal, uh, not only for beef and pork, but for a lot of other commodities. Uh, and I think that there's a, I think, I think there's a level of confidence that this will go forward. It's a good deal for both sides. And keep in mind that this, the, the topic of African swine fever has really dropped out of the press since COVID has taken over the headlines, you know, back to, uh, February, March here in the U.S., but it's not out of the headlines in China. It's still very much a, a very impactful issue in China on the pork side. You know, the uh, largest hog herd in the world is in China, and they've lost roughly, I mean, you can argue the number, but 40 to 50 percent of their pigs uh, have been lost. So translate that into global impact, roughly 20 to 25 percent of the world's pigs are no longer uh, in existence due to African swine fever. This will have an impact. The supply and demand dynamics are such that you don't have enough red meat protein in the world, beef, pork, poultry, to make up that deficit. So on a supply and demand basis, when we get beyond the emotion of COVID-19, and as I said earlier, a lot of the Asian countries are coming out of that cloud, the reality is that the supply is still short. So that, in essence, means that we're well positioned, the U.S. is well positioned to supply especially on items like variety meats where there's not a lot of demand here in the U.S. And uh, items like short plates and, and things like this that are not particularly high demanded in the U.S., there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of sustained uh, demand for products like this uh, throughout the world, but especially in Asia because of the situation. And it would seem that the U.S.-Japan trade deal is doing well. Yes, that that has been a home run. I said this last year when the deal was finalized, and, I, and I, I'll stand by my comments that there is no deal bigger than a Japan-U.S. ag agreement as it relates to our part of the of the uh, the agricultural part of the deal. Um, it got us on a level playing field with uh, with Australia, with Canada, with Mexico, with with other competitors. Uh, we're not a, at a 13 percent duty disadvantage like we were a year ago. So. So this, that's all we ask. This on a level playing field, and the U.S. will compete. And we're starting to see that. We're starting to see increased share. We're gaining share back on the beef side. Same thing on the pork side. Uh, so, yeah, that, that has not only was it a great deal, but we're already seeing the benefits through three quarters or three, uh, three months of the, of the fiscal year's reporting and statistics. So, yes, uh, we're very excited about uh, that development. All right, Dan, always good to talk with you. Thanks for your time. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Much appreciated.
Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about the packing plant situation, the investigation, uh, what's going on with the, the supply chain and how it's impacting the beef industry. We've got a lot to talk about with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin Woodall joins us next on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Lots to talk about with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. I'm well, Mike. Good morning. Good to be with you. Very good. All right. A lot of uh, media attention right now on the Department of Justice investigation in, into meat packers. Is this new or increased investigation or just the ongoing investigation we've talked about before? This is the ongoing investigation that we've talked about before. USDA extended the investigation that they had already started last summer after the fire at the Tyson plant in Holcomb, Kansas. That has been extended to include everything that we have seen in the market throughout the COVID-19 crisis. And DOJ was already looped into that. They were already cooperating in a part of it. So the uh, the comments from the president just reinforce the fact that it is going on. Uh, our message to the Secretary of Agriculture and back to the president is we need to get this done quickly. We cannot allow this to be a six-month investigation, a year-long investigation. It needs to be done quickly because we need that information so we can use that as we look at what the future of cattle marketing is in this country. Because these investigations can drag on and on, and a lot of times – uh, if you're losing money in the, in the meantime, and if you go out of business, it's not going to do you a lot of good afterwards to be told <laughs> something that uh, you needed to know earlier, right? That and So I, this need for speed, but at the same time, it's got to be done thoroughly. Uh, what kind of a realistic timeline do you think we could see for this? That is a great question, Mike. I mean, it is the federal government we're talking about here. And so it, it could, unfortunately, uh, draw out for quite some time. That's why we just have to stay on top of them and continue to deliver the message to the administration and also make sure that Congress is engaged, which they are, because we have had senators, we have had members of the House that have made phone calls, they have sent their own letters. So there is a, a critical mass out there that wants this done. And, of course, this week we also saw the delivery of a letter from several attorneys general from uh, multiple states asking for the same thing. So uh, the fact that the president is talking about it, fact that we have the states, we have producer groups, we have senators and House members. The pressure is on USDA and DOJ to get this done quickly. All right, let's talk about the packing industry. It seems like every day there's news of either a plant 
closing or a plant maybe coming back or um, new positive tests, you know, positive cases being found in these plants. So the news is ongoing here. What is your assessment of where we are right now as far as production and um, what can consumers expect in the near future, you think, as far as meat availability in their grocery stores? As of this morning, the only beef plant that is not operational is the Cargill facility in Schuyler, Nebraska. Every other beef plant is up and running at, at some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, we have heard reports that there are some that are 100%. We have had reports some that are still at 25 to 30%. Uh, overall, we are, I believe, in a much more stable situation than we were a week ago. And I think a big portion of that is USDA's execution of the executive order. This is the executive order the president put out a week ago invoking the Defense Production Act. And that has really taken a lot of the whims out of the local governments having an undue influence on this. And we've had one standardized approach that USDA has been delivering on. And it's twofold. It's about taking care of these workers. And that's why they are implementing the CDC and OSHA guidance to make sure that we keep the workers safe. Because we all have to remember that without those workers, that plant can be open or closed. It doesn't matter. We're not going to be able to process cattle. So let's take care of them implement this guidance, make sure they are safe, and then uh, keep those plants operating under that guidance. If we can do that, we know that we can process cattle and keep workers safe at the same time, and that's what USDAs do. How backed up is the system? How backed up are producers trying to market cattle? Yeah, the backup is pretty significant. Uh, cattle Facts is telling us it could be close to a million head. We're trying to figure out what the long-term implications are on that. We don't have that calculated yet. But we're also reminding the consumer that we don't have a shortage of raw product. We don't have a shortage of cattle. And so if they are seeing shortages right now, it's probably uh, in some cases localized due to, due to whatever packing plant that they would uh, be closest to, the distribution system associated with that. You know, we have seen retailers that have limited the purchase of meat products. We saw Wendy's saying that they had some locations that were having problems, but yet we saw McDonald's CEO come out and say that they had a very stable supply. So we don't have a nationwide shortage of beef, and we're trying to make sure that the consumer understands that. We do have some localized shortages, but they may be only for a day or two. And as long as we can kind of control panic buying, uh, we think that we can continue to uh, deliver the supply that we need to to get people through this. And, of course, as these packing plants continue to recover, that's just only going to help us. The windy situation getting a lot of publicity, but isn't part of that a, a fresh versus frozen uh, issue as well? You know, that's definitely been brought up in this discussion, it, just given their uh, their system, the way they're set up. Uh, absolutely, that has, a, that has an impact. Okay, now you said... We're right around a million head of cattle backed up. Wow, that, I mean, that's a big backlog to work through even as the packing plants reopen. It absolutely is, and we could be talking months here while we're trying to get through these cattle. Again, we don't have a, an, an exact uh, dollar 
uh, impact that that is going to uh, uh, hit us on, or we're still working to try to get more more analysis of that. And as we get more of that, we'll be sharing it with everybody. But of course, that is a, a big concern. We've already seen the downward trend in prices. Whenever you have all that supply out there and still a very limited number of shackle spaces, uh, that will continue to have downward uh, pressure on prices. And that that is something that concerns us greatly. We're talking with Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, how concerned are you that this backup and shortages or tight supply in places is kind of handing a market or opening the door to the imitation meat uh, market out there? You know, I think the, uh, the the fake meat guys are definitely trying to make some hay here. And we've seen a lot of news stories, especially this week in particular, of where uh, they're getting more product in some additional stores. Uh, we've seen uh, Beyond Beef's stock prices go up a little bit more. Uh, I, I believe that that is still uh, much more uh, PR-focused than it is actual result in sales because we still continue to hear reports from people in grocery stores saying, yeah, you know, that meat case, it was kind of slim today, but there still was a lot of Beyond Beef product there. Uh, they're, they're doing what any company would do, and that's trying to capitalize on the situation, and that comes with a PR machine, and I think a lot of this is a part of their PR machine. What is your message to producers who are dealing with this, struggling with this, can't market their cattle, getting low prices when they do, consumers upset because they can't find beef at places? Uh, I mean, there's got the level of frustration has to be extremely high on all levels here. What What is your message to producers? Right now it is... Uh, focused on USDA and getting the CFAP program put in place. This was the money that came from the CARES Act. We are hearing that we could see something uh, over the weekend or early next week to finally get some of that money going out to producers. So hopefully that helps. But not everybody wants that money. Not everybody wants that money. And so we are also focused with USDA because uh, we have to get these packing plants up and running and working with USDA working with these companies to get that done is the best thing at this point in time that we can do to try to start to alleviate this situation we get this supply flowing again then a lot of this is going to uh, start rectifying itself and then we can get back to more of the longer term discussions about how we prevent a wreck from uh, happening like this in the future yeah the getting the economy back up and going is certainly the the best solution to all this but uh in far as far as the direct assistance uh what are you hearing as far as uh, you you talked about the timing coming soon what do you get any more details are you hearing any more from uh USDA on what this could look like now they've been pretty tight-lipped on it uh, so it, it's one of those that we'll have to wait and see what this rule looks like before we know all the provisions. Uh, I do believe that they have taken a lot of our feedback, especially our criticism of the payment limits that were put in place. So we could very well see some movement there, but we, we just won't know, Mike, until this rule is published. So you think it could be in the next few days? It could. Uh, that's That's what USDA is currently telling us. All right. Well, Colin, we'll talk again uh, after we get that word and get your reaction to that, and keep uh, we'll keep monitoring this situation. Appreciate your input. Stay well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. 
Take care. Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Pretty a staggering number, really. Uh, as many as a million head of cattle backed up because of the uh, slowdown with the uh, the packing plants. It's going to take a long time to work through that. All right, up next, with all the different events being canceled, a big one is still on schedule, and that is the Farm Progress Show, scheduled for Boone, Iowa, September 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. We're going to talk with Matt Youngman, National Shows Director for Farm Progress, next. How do you plan a major event like that in in light of what's going on with COVID-19? Some uncertainties have to be there, but decisions have to be made. So we'll talk with Matt about how they're getting ready for that show with all that uncertainty and how's planting going in that Boone, Iowa area. So that's all coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell. Everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills, our math, our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise. We'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. FS understands each season presents farmers with challenges. While COVID-19 is one we couldn't have anticipated, it doesn't mean we're not prepared. Across each FS member company, we're staying connected with you and working to deliver supplies when you need them. It may feel like everything is changing, but our commitment to quality and service never will. Don't hesitate to reach out to your local FS company with questions. And for the latest updates on our COVID-19 response, visit fssystem.com. 
recently on Adams on Agriculture. We're joined now by Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates. Steve, what's your assessment of where the system is at right now? How dire is it? It is uh, the most serious situation I've ever seen in this business. Uh, we have these that number of pigs backing up, and so far it's been kind of sporadic, but it's going to become much more widespread that we just don't have a place to put these pigs. You can't idle them for a little while, but uh, you know you can't stop them completely. They're going to keep growing, and we have producers that are started several weeks ago feeding what we would call cooler diets that uh, you know have a little less protein, less energy in them, so the pigs won't grow as fast to try to keep them from getting too big. But still, that pig occupies the space that there's another pig coming to fill. We can double and triple stock those baby pigs into some buildings for a while, and we've been doing that already. But all of that, it's kind of like an accordion, and once you take all the slack out of it, then you've got to do something at the other end. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running, so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Farm Progress Show is scheduled for September 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Boone, Iowa. We're joined now by Matt Youngman, National Show's Director for Farm Progress. Matt, how confident are you that the Farm Progress Show will be held those dates, September 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Boone, Iowa? Well, we've, we've put the corn in the ground. We've ordered tents. We've ordered the parking passes. We're making the investments necessary to, to have a show. I mean, some things are outside of our control, but... We're doing everything on our end to be sure that we're ready for a show. We've got a lot of things going for us. Uh, the show, you know, once every seven or eight years, the show is September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, all show dates in September. So anything that's going to affect an August event won't affect us. And, you know, we're in Iowa. They've already opened 77 of the 99 counties up. I mean, not completely, but they've begun to open up those counties. And Boone County, Iowa is one of them. So, you know, we're... We're as confident as we can be in these really unknown, you know, these these really unprecedented times. 
who do you have to work with? Who, what officials are you working with to get the okay to have the show? Well, we're go- we're going to be working with you know the Iowa Department of Health and 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 the local authorities when the time comes. To be quite honest, those folks have so much on their plate that they're really not they're not ready to think about the Farm Progress Show. They've they've got they've got county fairs, state fairs. You know they've got they've got all the things that that are more honestly more pressing and more current than than the Farm Progress Show. We're we are also going to have some guidelines coming down from from our internal sources. I mean, we do a lot of trade shows around the globe, and so we're going to get guidance there. And so we've got plenty of resources to get guidance from. Uh, you know, it's just if you if you go backwards on the calendar, 115 days, which is how far the Farm Progress Show is away. If you go backwards on the calendar, you're in early January, and in early January, you hadn't maybe even heard of any COVID or coronavirus or any of this. So all of this has happened in less time than we have in front of us. So the horizon is still good that we're going to, we're going to be at the new normal by September 1st, 2nd, 3rd. And then again, September 15th, 16th, 17th for Husker Harvest Day. Do you have backup plans if for say, if, if you were allowed to have the show, but you had to limit the number of people or, or try to spread them out, you know, I don't know how you social distance, even though you're outside, you're, you still got a lot of people in a fairly confined area. Are you looking at those kind of contingency plans? So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be that we've got our head in the sand. We, we certainly are working on plans. You know, we're, we're working on plan A and that's, that's, that's put on the show as uninterrupted as possible, but we are working on plans B through Z and and it you know you don't know where on the continuum it's going to be you know how much digital presence there is and, and whether we'd be you know you look at some very specific things where people are really shoulder to shoulder at the admission points and the food service and, and and the beer garden and a couple places like that but for the most part if we spread our head count out over uh the the, the 80 acre exhibit field it, it works out that that's no more dense than they're allowed to be in Walmart or Menards or, you know, any, anywhere like that. So yeah, we're working on all those contingencies, but we're still hopeful that plan A is still viable. We're talking with Matt Young, the national shows director for farm progress. As we look ahead to the farm progress show, September 1st, 2nd and 3rd in Boone, Iowa, Husker harvest day, September 15, 16 and 17 in grand Island, Nebraska. All right. For for Farm Progress Show, Matt, you've got a lot of exhibitors that are wondering, you know, about making that big commitment to put their exhibits up. What is, what are the deadlines that you have to meet with them uh, to get them word of whether or not this is going going to happen or not? Right. So we've been in conversations with with many of them, and you know, I was just listening offline there. You know, FS is a, is a great partner of yours. I've been I've been talking to them just just this week. And, you know, they need to get their staff invited and get it on their calendar and those kind of things. And some of those, some of those staffing level things, putting in 10 orders, those are going to be happening over the next month or so. But when we get into late June, early July, that's when checks start getting written, deposits for tents and, and, and some of those kind of larger investments start happening. So, so we need to give answers on, and, based on any guidance we're going to get from all of these different sources, um, you know, by the end of June, 
to to early July. That you know, there's sort of a go no go point there, where whatever kind of a live event we're going to have, we've got to have a plan for what that looks like by that time. You know, and and even to the point of that's when you're printing the show programs and you're 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 really locking yourself in to something that that we have to then activate on site. So even that, we've still got a lot of time to. Mm-hmm. To evaluate all of our options and and decide what the event's going to look like. You know, we're we're still hopeful that that it's going to be. You can't think that it's not going to be affected somehow. That that somehow we're not going to come out of this, and there's not going to be some at least slight changes to what folks have become accustomed to at the event. But you know, we want to make that first and foremost. We want it to be safe. Our our, our mission here is is to to educate folks and to to get exhibitors together with growers. That's our primary mission, and, and we don't in the in the course of that we don't want to put any anybody into any kind of danger. So, uh, with that in mind, we're going to put on the the best, most interactive uh, educational event we possibly can. Real quick, uh, how how about planting? How how much is done there on the show site? Show site is completely done. We were done planting at Husker and Farm Progress Show by April twenty first, so everything is in great shape and about to come up at both show sites. All right, very good. Well, we'll stay in touch, Matt. Uh, fortunately, you do have uh, have some time uh, to, as you said, you know, things are changing day to day, hour to hour. So uh, when you have weeks uh, still before you have to make that final decision, that's that's uh, that gives you some wiggle room there. So glad to glad to hear that it's still on schedule at this point, and hopefully it's all going to work out. Take care, Matt. We'll stay in touch. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it. Matt Young, the National Shows Director for Farm Progress. Well, that wraps up for today. Have a great weekend, a safe weekend, a great Mother's Day as well. Back with you on Monday here on AOA.